room that they're not supposed to be there. Maybe there's a, you're walked into a situation and you felt like, uh, I'm not really supposed to be here, or why is this person here? Or like you're, the, you're on the list to be attendance, but you really don't fit in, um, and you're not really sure about that, you know? Um, and you almost think, well, they're not supposed to be here. Uh, that awkwardness there. And when we look at Jesus' family tree or even the family of God, somewhat there's a little bit of that feeling for us as well. I remember one time um, my parents, we were over at Canaan Valley, um, and uh, the lodge there was well before they remodeled it and made it all nice like it is now. It was nice then, but that was a long time ago. Anyway, um, we went into the restaurant, gave our last name, we're seated. They're super nice to us. Um, and... Um, <laughs> And, and we found out that the senator was also on the property somewhere. And, um, and then, and, and this, so the waiter comes over and says, oh, I didn't realize the senator had a, a son to my dad. And my dad, who is just, you know, if he thinks that it says it, he says, well, I didn't know he did either. And, and all of a sudden, they weren't as nice to us anymore. And we were, really weren't fitting in that way. And there's some ways we can kind of look at Jesus, the lineage, like in the Christmas story and Genesis and I mean, John, sorry, in um, the genealogies in Matthew and then in Luke that you're like, well, what are these people doing here? And that's what we've been talking about this month, um, that, that folks like Tamar uh, and her twin sons, uh, like Rahab, and uh, being adopted as, as a Canaanite into, into Judaism, having a son named Boaz who marries a Moabite woman named Ruth, and they have a, a son named Obed who's the father of David. I mean, so there's this lineage that Jesus puts people like this in his family tree. And so we've been talking about how God is making room for those type, for the outcasts, for all peoples to be part of his family. And that's what we've been talking about this month. And so there's some really awesome things there. So I wanted to kind of lead that up to tonight. And I wanted to share a few verses with you uh, from one of my favorite Christmas passages. And that's in Luke, uh, in um, Paul's letter to the Galatians, um, when he kind of gives this awesome picture of what the incarnation, the the function, the purpose of the incarnation, and the function of the and we say incarnate like carnate like uh, flesh, you know, carnivore eats flesh. So incarnate, so God puts on flesh, the incarnation, the coming of Jesus in the flesh, being born in the in in the in the manger. Uh, is, is there uh, the incarnation. So it says in Galatians 4, it says, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no, no better than a slave, and though he were an owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that are under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is an incredible passage, especially verses 4 and 5 there, that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born into the world, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those that are under the law so that they might receive the adoption of sons. And really, those two verses contain some of the most compressed language about the person and work of Jesus. Um, They show us when Jesus came, who he came for, how he came, and why he came. All of it in just two verses. This is an awesome thing. So it, it teaches these two Bible doctrines of the person of Jesus or Christology uh, with his, the why he came in salvation or soteriology, and he puts those together. So it's like these two twin peaks, these twin towers of evangelical doctrine put in these two verses. So he says there the reality of the incarnation, that when the fullness of time had come, that there was a certain time and place, that, that the fact that God became flesh, that he became man, God with us, that there is a time and a place. It's not just some... Uh, theoretical thing that there was a certain time and a certain place and a certain date on place on this earth that um, God became flesh. Now where that was, we, don't, we know it's in Bethlehem. We don't know the exact spot. Um, we just sang a little town of Bethlehem where Phillips Brooks, uh, when he was visiting the church of nativity in Israel, that's where he wrote the words to that. And that's the place where they think that it was, uh, it was kind of a good guess and Constantine uh, built a church there for his mother, Helen, and the, we mentioned that they have the, the star with the 14 points on the star, the 14 generations from, uh, from, uh, to, to, to the, to the, um, all from, to the Babylonian captivity, and then the 14 generations from the captivity to when Christ came, and those things, but, but when the full, so it says, but, and this marks the face of, the, the face that God had, uh, had an intentional intervention, when the fullness of time, this is a, a specific time that the advent of Jesus was so significant to the Christian's understanding that we literally tell time by it, A.D. and B.C., this time, this fullness of time. And it also probably speaks to that God perfectly timed it, like in, in Daniel when he prophesied. And, and there's so much going on politically and economically during this the time that Jesus was born. So there's a, a politically, the, the peace of Rome is happening. Linguistically, there's a common language in that Greek is spoken throughout the known world as a trade language. Logistically, um, the fact that uh, the Romans' uh, highway system was just incredible. I mean, they, I mean, they had great state road workers, uh, the Romans did. And they had this all roads lead to Rome that we would say, this Roman, the Roman road system, this urban civilization that we still look at as, in, such, in such a special way uh, when the fullness of time was come. All this in God's perfect timing. And he says there in verse 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Now, I, I like, well, when he says that, I love it. When it says God sent forth, it speaks to Jesus being eternal, that there was never a time that he did not exist. It wasn't like he started or, 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 or God was some type of you know, metahuman that was a shapeshifter that now morphed into the form of Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus always existed as the divine son of God and just put on flesh and it, in, the, um, in the manger. So God sent forth his son from, not just from Galilee to Jerusalem, but from heaven to earth. And, you know, the, 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 there's a familiar chorus that says he came from heaven to earth to show the way. Um, so and then it says he was born of a woman. I love that, that it's just kind of a, a reference there, kind of a passive reference to the virgin conception of Jesus. They didn't have an earthly father. 
He was perfectly, he wasn't tainted with our sin nature, even though he put on our flesh and became like us. He was still the perfect God. Um, and there are many that, even in the last week or so, you know, those trying to deny this. And uh, we mentioned this yesterday, how Joseph, you know, part of his not being afraid to marry, uh, to take uh, Mary as his wife, was suffering that reproach that most people are not going to believe that, you know. Um, and, and, the, and Jesus and Joseph and Mary had that mantle on them, uh, that, that scarred reputation the rest of their lives. Um, I was talking to Adam yesterday after the service, and he brought up when the Pharisees are talking to Jesus, and they're like, hey, we're not born out of fornication. And they're still, still trying to claim that, oh, you're, you're your mom and some Roman soldier, you, you know, that's how you got here. And um, that that was still going on. But no, 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 Jesus was born of a virgin. And so um, he was born under the law, meaning that he perfectly fulfilled the law. He actively obeyed the law for us. And sometimes we, we focus so much on that Jesus died for our sins, but we also for, we need to emphasize that Jesus lived for our redemption. That he, that he didn't just take the punishment we deserve. He lived the life and fulfilled the law that we couldn't do. Uh, so, so we were like, I can't obey. I can't do this right. Well, Jesus already did it for me. And so my responsibility is to just be in him and be united with him in the gospel. But he does this, and then he shifts here in these two verses. He says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and he shifts from that teaching us about the person of Jesus to teaching about the purpose of Jesus and what he did to redeem those that are under the law. So since unsaved people are by nature children of Adam and the devil, the only way that they can become God's children is through spiritual adoption. To redeem those of the under the law that they might receive the adoption of sons. Now we often think of of redemption in the negative sense, that we are redeemed from the curse of the law, from the slave market of sin, or from these hostile elemental spirits that Paul mentioned here. But he also shows us that there's a positive purpose of the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can receive the full rights of sons. Now ladies, I want you to notice here, because sometimes we think, well, we should say daughters too, right? No, 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 because in that time, the legal rights went to the sons. So ladies, you have the full rights of sons. He's redeemed you to be that. And then the scriptures would even say that we're, that husbands and wives are joint heirs, equal heirs in this sonship. And so I could tell my wife that she's a good son of God. But we know what we mean by that. We say daughters, we're putting it equal. But in the text here, hey, at the time, legally, you ladies are right in there with, with the sons. So anyway, um, adoption. And th- this has so many, so much, many distinct meanings that he has, he, he's given us this position of being adopted. So much, so radical an adoption when we become adopted into God's family that John would say it's like being born again. Uh, that we're born again, born into this family, adopted as sons. He changes us. He renews us. He redeems us. He makes us his own children. And so uh, within Scripture, there's several distinct meanings when it says we're adopted. 
Uh, in Ephesians, it says adopted is a reference to God's sovereign election. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 5 that we are predestined for the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. And sometimes we can get all like, oh, that's a scary word. No, 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 no. It's an awesome thing that God comes to and says, I want you to be a part of my family. That he, that he has put his affection upon you. I mean, we didn't do nothing. There's nothing that he didn't look and see good in you or see what you would do or what you decide. He just loved you in your sin. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, and then Romans 8, it says we will receive the redemption of our bodies, that th- those sons. And here in Galatians, it refers to our present status of sonship. That we're given this through the new birth, through the gospel at work in our lives. That we become heirs of the promises of Abraham. Uh, that we're heirs of this. So we can sing that little kid's song, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father, had father Abraham. I am one of them and hopefully so are you. And you can be part of this. So... Uh, there's just so, and we could look back historically at the picture of adoption in the Roman world. The adoption in the Roman world was often adults being adopted for certain of a political reasons or whatnot. So, um, co- very common. The most famous one that we would probably think of would be Julius Caesar, Caesar's adoption of his great nephew Octavius, uh, who we know here, and Caesar Augustus. And uh, so they adopted Octavius, and they. Um, he became known as Caesar Augustus, and they started making salads and making pizza. <laughs> and uh, it's in the Greek somewhere, I think, right? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> oh, but the heirs, these Galatians, would have all of this in mind when they, when they heard this, that we're heirs. So the Christmas story is really the story of the incarnation, that there's a reality. When the fullness of time was come, it really happened. God sent forth his son, the reason that we might receive the adoption of sons. And that's, the, that's really the result, that we can have this. And so it brings us into this intimacy we have with God. And it talked about how we can, he's Abba Father. That he, there's this intimate relationship that we have with God. And that's what Christmas is about. That he wants you, you can be as close to God as you want to be. That there is an intimacy there. Of you and God. I mean, this is not just some evangelical fundamental thing that you can have a personal relationship with God. And much of Christianity, even evangelical and fundamental circles, almost focus so much of our attention on all the accompanying things of Christianity uh, rather than the main thing of having a relationship with God. You know, I used to joke, so Jamie and I have been married 15 years this year, and I used to joke about how I was going to be a bachelor till the rapture. And I don't know if that makes dating the tribulation or how that works. But um, anyway, but I loved dorm life. I loved camp. I worked at camp six years. I just loved that. Um, and I remember, like, friends. This is, like, when cell phones were, like, really thick and it was still cool to wear them on your belt. Uh, when we, and my friends would call me right after we got married. They're like, how do you like being married or all this stuff like this. And, and, if, and it'd be silly if, if when that happens and everybody's like, well, hey, how is family and how is marriage? And I would be like something like, oh, guys, you know those rags we had in the dorm that we called towels? We have like matching ones. And man, she can cook and it smells good. I don't have to smell, you know, John's feet every night. And this is just, it's just so awesome. And, and, 
you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about all the peripheral things rather than the, the girl, the relationship. And sometimes we can get so trapped up in, you know, does the church do this? Do they have this program, that program, the building this, sing out of this, the blue hymnal, the red hymnal, the what's, you know, and all the trappings that, you know what this is about? It's about God sending his son to adopt us into his family so that we can have a relationship. And you all are going to experience that maybe this afternoon, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, that there's going to be things you're like, family's not about having the perfect table, everybody agreeing on everything, everybody voting the same way on everything, everybody thinking this, everything, but it's about being together as family. And, 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 and it's not the Hallmark picture. You ever, you ever done that? You like, we have these, these uh, slideshows that, um, with our pictures that will run on the TV when it times out or when you have people over or whatever. And there's some of those pre-stock photos that are like on your phone or that are like when you buy picture frames and it has those people, you know, you know, you know, and they look really great. I mean, they're like models that got paid to act like a family. Right. And, and when you're kind of scrolling through and one of those is stuck in your photo album and you're like, Oh, who are, what's, it doesn't mean anything. Why? Well, there's, there's not a relationship there. Now, if you're going to look like Chip and Joanna Gaines' house, and you don't care whose picture's on the wall, but you want it to look like your house, your people. And that's what Christmas is about. And it's not about everything else. It's about that. And so, um, so we can have this misguided emphasis that leads us to some type of conservative, anti-modern culture lifestyle. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's Christian any more than, um, you know, whatever we might so. So, so we are fellow heirs with Jesus. And so there's another application for us that we would look at each other as joint heirs. Um, that you know what? Tim might be back there and thinking, and Jason's got terrible jokes and he doesn't do this right and that right. But you know what? We're, we're joint heirs. And I'm going to be in heaven with Tim and he's going to be in heaven with me. And so we'll both be perfect, you know? I'll have good jokes, and he'll have hair on his head, right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, or, or whatever that might be, you know, perfect is. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the witness between us. So um, we, limit our, we, we limit considering the actual person and work of Christ. And to, we don't, just like we shouldn't, if there's a relationship, the only time you talk about relationships uh, is not birthdays and anniversaries. It's every; those are nice, important things. So don't let your relationship with Jesus be like that either. It's just you know Christmas and Easter or certain things. Let it be all around. There's, don't miss the anniversaries and birthdays, but but let it be a, a, a real thing. So anyway, I just want to remind you of this, and that this sonship that we have with God that we're adopted, this is really this. It lasts forever, and just like. When we look at Advent, that the purpose of Advent is remembering his first coming and awaiting his second coming. Romans 8 says that we are awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. That this adoption has happened, and the full aspect of that adoption is yet to happen when we're glorified and he redeems our bodies in the resurrection. And that's really what Christmas is all about. That's what we're doing here. And I hope this will be those two verses in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. Be something you can meditate upon and think on in the coming days uh, and apply that to the rest of our lives. I do want to share one thing with you. I, I was reading this this morning, and um, of course, 
some of you at some point over that last week, this week, will probably watch some version of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Story, if you've not read the book, or something like that. Uh, my favorite happens to be the very uh, highbrow and, um, you know, just very classy Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, that, that's my favorite. Um, and and the, that Victorian era of England really brought us so many of the traditions that we have today in the Christmas, time, Christmas season, uh, certain nouns like Scrooge uh, that, that we get from that. Uh, but there was a contemporary with Dickens, a guy by the name of James Young Simpson. And um, he was, uh, lived in Scotland. Uh, he is probably known, he was a surgeon. He was the first surgeon to use chloroform as an anesthetic. Um, he actually experimented on himself which is kind of scary. Um, anyway, uh, he, he was, but he was also a devout Christian. And he wrote this, uh, uh, this uh, short essay this, um, about God being his substitute and showing love. And he says this, he starts out, When I was a boy at school, I saw the sight I never can forget, a man tied to a cart and dragged before people's eyes through the streets of my native town. Um, and his back torn and bleeding from the lash. It was a shameful punishment. And for many offenses, no, for one offense. Did any of the townsmen offer to divide the lashes with him? No. He had committed the offense and bore the penalty all alone. It was the penalty of a changing human law, for it was the last instance of its affliction. And when I was a student in the university, I saw another sight I have never forgotten. A man brought out to die. His arms were... Pinioned, his face was already pale as death, and thousands of eager eyes were on him as he came up from the jail in sight. Did any man ask to die in his room? No. Did any friend come and loose the ropes and say, put it around my neck, I will die instead? No. He underwent the sentence of the law. And for many offenses? No. For one offense, he had stolen a money parcel from a stagecoach. He broke the law at one point and died for it. And it was the penalty of a changing human law in this case. And it was the last instance of a capital punishment being inflicted for that offense. And I saw another side, it matters not when, myself a sinner standing on the brink of ruin, deserving naught but hell. For one sin? No. For many sins, committed against the unchanging laws of God. But again I looked and saw Jesus, my substitute scourged in my stead and dying on the cross for me. I looked and wept and was forgiven. And it seemed for me to be my duty to tell you of that Savior, to see if you will not also look and live. And I hope you'll see that as the point of Christmas, that for all of our offenses, he took our place and he came to die on the cross for us. Well, we're going to sing two more songs.